Welcome to the River D Centre podcast. Listen back to the Sunday worship message recorded live in our church building in Flint, North Wales. Yes, so we are starting a new series on disciples today. Um, So Joel messaged me about two weeks ago, eager beaver. He was like, who are you preaching on? Because Joel's preaching next week. And I was like, oh my word, I haven't even, I've given it zero thought at this point. I said, you choose and I'll choose someone else. So um, Joel will be very glad to hear I'm doing it on John. I'm not going anywhere near Peter. So that's what you've got to look forward to next week. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I chose John. Um, for a number of reasons, uh, I've been, I did previously look at John in my um, theology course, kind of a couple of terms back. Really enjoyed looking at the book of John. Um, not so much, we didn't so much look at the person of John, but it was a good place to start anyway. Um, so to give you a bit of a background on disciples and stuff, so Jesus called 12 men together. We know that there were 12 disciples and they were each of different personalities, of different passions, different skills, you know, to follow him and become his disciples. Um, you know, and we also call them apostles as well as disciples. We've heard of what disciple can mean. It's a follower. It's having discipline in your life. An apostle um, can mean uh, sent one kind of thing. So, um, you know, the apostles are listed in Mark 3, um, and it says there that Jesus appointed 12 designated and designated them as apostles. So, as I said, today we're going to take a look at John. Um, it's going to be a very brief look because, to be honest, we could do a whole term just on John, you know, as a person and his life and the things he did and what his character was like and the way he developed. Um, so, I'm just going to draw out a couple of points and then see how they apply to our lives and how we can go further in our walk with Christ through them. You know, he was known as a beloved friend of Jesus Christ. Um, He's the writer of five books in the New Testament, and he was a pillar of the early Christian church. So John's, you know, he was quite important back then. He's quite important to us now as well. You know, and John and his brother James, both disciples of Jesus, were fishermen. Um, And Jesus called them to follow him. Um, They later became part of Christ's inner circle. Um, So along with Peter, who we're going to hear about next week, the three, Peter, James and John, were privileged to be with Jesus at various events that we read about in the Bible. So the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, the transfiguration on the mountain, and during Jesus' passion when he died on the cross. Um, They were there for that as well. You know, on one occasion, when a a village rejected Jesus, James and John asked if they could call down heaven to destroy the place because they didn't like the fact that this village had rejected Jesus. And that nickname, that earned them the nickname of being the Sons of Thunder. Kind of shows that zealousness, doesn't it, of when you first come to Christ and you're all passionate and you're, it's all very black and white when you first come to Christ, isn't it? And that's what it kind of reminds me of when we hear about James and John there. 
you know, an, a previous kind of friendship relationship that John had with a guy called Joseph Caiaphas meant that John was present in the high priest's house during Jesus' trial. He was there when Jesus was on the cross and Jesus even entrusted his own mother to John. We can read about that in John 19, 27. Um, you know, John then afterwards served the church in Jerusalem for many years. He then moved on to work in the church in Ephesus. And it tells us that John was um, exiled later on to the island of Patmos, where he supposedly outlived all other disciples and simply died of old age at the end of that first century. Much different to how quite a number of the other disciples died anyway. You know, when we read John's Gospel, I don't know if you've ever read the four Gospels side by side or kind of studied them to see what the differences are. But Matthew, Mark and Luke are very, very similar. They're the three synoptic Gospels. And what that means is they are seen from the same eye or same viewpoint. And John is very, very different to these. So there's very little crossover between John and the other three Gospels. Um, one of my most recent... Um, terms that I had to do. Um, I was comparing John and Luke and actually trying to find verses and events in those two Gospels that happened. Um, it was quite difficult. So I ended up on Jesus entering Jerusalem on the Passion, so Jesus dying on the cross, and when he appears to his disciples. There's very few events that cross over between John and the other three Gospels. John in his um, continually emphasized that Jesus was Christ, that he is and was the Son of God. He was sent by the Father to take away the sins of the world. You know, he uses many titles for Jesus. He calls him the Lamb of God, the Resurrection, the Vine. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the phrase, I am, unmistakably identifying himself with Jehovah, with the Father, the great I am, the eternal God. And we don't see that so much in the other three Gospels. And John, although he wrote the Gospel and of course has to record events that he was involved in, he doesn't actually say, this is me at this point. He never names himself in his Gospel. He simply calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That's what John names himself as. And so John's life is an example of the Christian life in spiritual growth from that Sons of Thunder right through to being known the beloved, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. So we're just going to kind of go through that now, look at a couple of points and go through that journey. So the first one, we can see a degree of spiritual immaturity in John. Bless his heart. Apologies, you know, if I end up in heaven tomorrow and I meet him there, I hope he hasn't got a list of like, this is what you said about me. <laughs> so a um, bit of grace here. So, um, you know, we, we see a spiritual immaturity, that thing of being the sons of thunder. It kind of, you know, there's an um, impulsiveness to it, isn't there? A jump to the reaction kind of thing. Can be a bit obnoxious, you know, if somebody reacts that way, they can be a bit obnoxious, can't they? You know, and getting angry easily. 
However, John was fiercely loyal, you know. He was loyal to Jesus there. He didn't like the fact that this village had not recognized who Jesus was and taken note of that. So there's a loyalty there in John as well. You know, it's, so the, the verse, I'll just give you the verse. It's Luke 9, 54, and it says, When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? be a bit concerned if the person next to you said that today wouldn't you you know you think like oh I'm not too sure where they are on their spiritual walk kind of thing however in spite of this weakness you know John was dependable he was prompt and courageous he was faithful and he was devoted and we see that because he was one of the closest to Jesus you know he followed Jesus all the way to the cross and he didn't deny who Jesus was you know, many of us in Christian life have struggled with some of those spiritual immaturities as well. As I said, when you first become a Christian, you're impulsive, you see everything in black and white. This is right, this is wrong. Why is that person doing this and they're not doing it this way? You know, we all, I can imagine, have got stories of where we saw things like that when we first became Christians. But John faced up to that spiritual immaturity. You know, and he didn't continue to live by that nickname he'd given, he'd been given. How many of us can remember the nicknames that we were given in school or by our family when we were younger? Mine in my family apparently was wait for me because I was always, when we'd go for a walk, I was the one, you know, 50 yards at the back, just pulling along, kind of very reluctantly going for things, yelling wait for me kind of thing. So that apparently was my nickname. But we can shrug off those names, can't we? We can shrug off those titles that are put on us, either as early Christians or in childhood. We can step up into a spiritual maturity where we leave those kind of things behind. You know, John had a degree of spiritual pride as well. You know, John observed a follower of Jesus who was not part of the 12, driving out demons in the name of Jesus. And John told him to stop. John then went and bragged to Jesus, you know, what, what we've done. But Jesus actually confronted John and rebuked him and told him not to do that. He said, those who are not against us are for us. You know, God's power over sin and Satan isn't just limited to a few. It's not just the people up the front who God wants to work through. It's not just the people with a platform or a microphone that God wants to work through. God wants to work through every single individual and his redemption and his power is available to all. You know, it was spiritual pride that caused John to react like that, wasn't it? And to judge those how often do we do it in our lives? How often do we think that, well, that person's only been a Christian a week. Who do they think they are to go and share the gospel with somebody else? They don't know the four points off by heart. Exactly. Can I just say, I always get befuddled by the four point thing. I look at the symbols. I'm like, oh, I'm not too sure. But how often can we judge other people, either by their education, by their background, and think that they are unqualified to be able to share who Jesus is? You know, we can think they're not as good a Christian, they don't know as much as me, or we can think, well, they're from that denomination. How are they meant to know anything? 
you know, because they do it this way, they have liturgy, they do communion in a certain way, they have the restrictions of this and that. And that can be spiritual pride in all of us. It leads to judgment, which is not good for any of us to have in our hearts. You know, if we don't like somebody's appearance, if we don't like the way they do worship, if we don't like that particular music, we're saying that they haven't got it right. And that is so wrong with us. You know, John needed to face his self-centeredness as well. So in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, we see the mother of James and John come before Jesus and request that Jesus allow her two sons to sit with him when he establishes his kingdom. James and John chimed in and they said they would be honoured to sit at the right and the left hand side of Jesus. And they were thinking, we're the greatest. We deserve this. We deserve to be by your side in the kingdom of God. Ooh, I wonder if they could look back on those words now and think, oops. (laughs) They're recorded for all of time and I wish we'd never said them. (laughs) You know... I was trying to think of an allegory of pride and I put it into Google and what came up was a wood carving that is called an allegory of pride. You know, when it's described as a richly blessed couple with an elegant attitude, ignoring the poor by their side and about to walk straight over the edge of a cliff. Behind them stands an enormous devil who watches them. Demons appear in the background. Ooh, and if that doesn't say self-centeredness, I'm not too sure what does. You know, that, what is it, pride comes before a fall. And that can happen to any of us. You know, self-centeredness can come from past pain and experiences. It can also come, um, I remember one of the last time I went to the States to visit friends over there and one of my friends gave me like a sticker that you can put on your water bottle and it said FOMO. I was like, what on earth is FOMO? And it's this fear of missing out, you know, and I get that. Oh my goodness, do I get that? I really have to rein myself in sometimes and think I don't need to be part of everything. It's fine. But, you know, that FOMO, it it can come from a place of self-centeredness, me thinking that if I miss out on this, then I'm missing out on, you know, an amazing thing, a certain part of life, something that is going to enrich me and enrich the people there. Ooh, it's a bit of self-centeredness there, isn't it? You know, there's rules that the world live by, but also rules that God calls us to live by as well. You know, so thinking of self-centeredness there can be the rule of do unto others before it's done to you you know that fear sometimes can drive us to make sure we're not hurt by doing something first instead or the do unto others as they do to you an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth reacting in the same kind of way this I really have to rein in when I'm driving (laughs) that when someone pulls in front of you cuts up you don't go right up the rear end yeah just rein it in Emma I have to keep telling myself you know do unto others as you would have them do to you Mm, we're still not quite there yet are we we're still in a little bit of self-centeredness there because it's still all about us you know, do unto others as they would have yeah, done to you. But the rule that we are called to do is do unto others as Christ has done to you. 
So what Christ has done to you, that is the only place where we can really be free of self-centeredness. That's the only place when we look at what Christ has done for us and we begin to replicate that. It kind of reminded me of a television program a while back called Friends that's, you know, repeated often on TV. But I always remember this one episode where it was Phoebe was talking with Joey and they were talking about the fact that no act is selfless because there is always a personal gain to everything. And Joey, through the episode, goes on this journey of trying to prove that an act can be selfless. So he ends up, I think it's on a telephone-thon, and he's with a guy who he doesn't like, and, you know, all of this. And he's saying he's sacrificing his time. He's being with this person he doesn't like. But then the TV camera swerves to him, and so he ends up on TV, and he's waving, and that's where the selfish part comes in and the self-fulfillment comes in. So the only way we truly, truly can be is to follow Christ and follow the way he did things. You know, to love the way Christ loved, unconditionally, absolutely unconditionally. When we respond in times, you know, out of pain, fear, conflict, disagreement, the immaturity remains, and the only way that we can mature is to be mature in Christ, to follow his example, to put aside that spiritual pride and self-centeredness and move on to the most excellent way of love. So looking at love, you know, John looked at his own life of immaturity. He'd witnessed the life of Jesus, and he needed to move on to that maturity. He saw a whole other level of unconditional love. Do unto others as Christ would do to you. He saw that at the foot of the cross as Jesus suffered and died. And he chose not to abandon Jesus in that horrific act of love. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He heard Jesus promise to the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. All of this begins to show an understanding that John was having of unconditional love and how to show it as well. You know, some of the verses in the letters later on that John wrote, so in first, second, third letters of John, you can see it's filled with what his experience has been both at seeing Jesus' death on the cross, but also at Pentecost. You know, he says in 1 John 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's a much different perspective, isn't it, from that sons of thunder that we originally hear about. You know, it goes on to say, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then also it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. You know, John was living at a much higher level of love now, wasn't he? In the life of John, we know that Jesus love, loves us unconditionally, no matter how selfish, no matter how arrogant we are. John, through his letters, through his recordings of Jesus' life, but also his recordings of his own life, we can see that there is unconditional love there. And my question to you is, do you live unconditionally? Or do you, is your love conditioned and 
I think all of us can probably put our hands up and say, at times our love is conditioned. Because if that person doesn't react the way you want them to, you take offence. You withdraw from a friendship or from a relationship because of something that has happened. You know, I, I have um, somebody that I have a relationship with. I'm super aware that these things are recorded now. And I don't think they would listen to them. But I have somebody who I have a relationship. And I have to say, every day it is a choice. It is a choice to love that person. It's a choice to turn the page and that page be blank again. Um, and, you know, something happened yesterday and this morning I thought, it's got to be a new page again. It's got to be a new page of, okay, I will continue to love you. I'll continue to show you. And what's interesting here, um, I was part of a conversation that's different to this, but I was part of a conversation earlier in the week. And um, one person was sharing, they were Christian, one person was sharing about um, just stuff going on in life, but to do with a relationship in their life, a relationship that was quite is quite traumatic they don't really have a relationship with this person anymore but it still impacts on their life and the christian and the other person was a strong atheist the christian said but i don't wish death on them and the atheist was taken aback and was like really you don't because the atheist knew the trauma that the person had been through the atheist said really you don't and the christian said no i pity them and i want them to know the love of Jesus and in that moment as I encountered this conversation I realized how utterly different when we are transformed by Christ when we're transformed by his unconditional love it allows us to say of somebody that you've been through trauma with I don't wish death upon them because we know where death can lead if they don't know Jesus we know where death can lead so unconditional love there, demonstration of love. How did John demonstrate this love? You know, John was an eyewitness of Jesus' love and he saw the lives of people transformed. Think of Nicodemus in John 3. We quite often quote Nicodemus, don't we? Because it's one of the famous verses. But think of him, Nicodemus pops up again, if you read the Gospel of John, later on when he comes to collect Jesus' body to go and put in the tomb. Those words in John 3 had transformed Nicodemus and John was witness of that. You know, he saw that Nicodemus had a hungry heart. John witnessed the transformation of the Samaritan woman as well at the well. Um, you know, he saw her transformed to become a member of the kingdom of God. You know, that will have taught John how to love that will have taught John longevity in love and actually that when we love it takes a demonstration as well it takes us acting on it you know John served the church we see the recording of the words and acts of Jesus in those books that we can read and it's because John recorded them and shared them with other people so just looking at the leadership of John you know, Jesus was John's example of leadership. Amazing, isn't it? You know, and in that we see in the Last Supper that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. That's an amazing act, isn't it, of servant leadership there. 
you know, John learned from ministry experience that it's okay to be second. We don't have to be first in everything. We don't have to be top of the playlist. We don't have to have our name in lights. It's okay to be second. And we can see that because quite often in the New Testament, it talks about Peter and John. Peter and John did this, Peter and John. It's never John and Peter did this. It's Peter and John did this. You know, it's a bit like family members, isn't it? When you name the kids off, listed in kind of, you know, age order kind of thing. Um, but John was okay with that. He didn't have to assume to be the leader. He didn't argue that he needed to be first. He was a servant leader. And he was just proud to be um, um, ministering in Jesus' name and to advance the kingdom. You know, as servant leaders, which each and every one of us are, if we are um, members of Christ's family, we don't care who gets the credit. We really don't care. If you care, then that's a little bit of a check today to kind of think, oh, okay, I need to do a little bit of work in my heart. You know, our understanding of John as the servant leader is so different, isn't it, to the one that his mother wanted of these two men, of James and John, sitting pride of place in all glory next to Jesus. Instead, John wanted to be the servant leader. You know, thinking about when you're in work, if somebody asks you to do something that's below your pay grade, ooh, how do you react to that? Outside, you might react absolutely fine. What's going on in your heart at that moment? You know, I was in the office the other day and there was this kind of a bit of a kerfuffle over who was going to take minutes in the next program board meeting. And in the end, I was like, I'm fine, I'll do it. I'm fine doing it. But it's just interesting, isn't it? You know, it's a bit of a pride thing. You know, is there a certain area of your life where you think it's below your pay grade? It could be serving in your family. It could be something in, you know, your household environment relationships with your family it could be something here in church in our old church I have to admit one of my favorite jobs was just cleaning because it was kind of like you don't really have to think about it you just kind of get on with it um but you know there there's those elements in our life there's those moments where the, we have the opportunity to be a certain servant leader you know as John grew older and older he didn't become bitter at the life that God had handed to him. You know, James, his brother, it's believed, was the first church's martyr. All of the other disciples were killed quite brutally, to be honest. And John was left on an island by himself. And I can imagine that that would have been quite lonely. You know, it's believed that he lived in a cave while he was there and he wrote the book of Revelation. So he may well have suffered with loneliness and suffering, but we don't garner any complaints at all from John in those days and from the loneliness that he may have experienced. You know, his character had grown, hadn't it, from those early days that we understand when he was called as a fisherman. Um, Forgive me if I get some of those, these pronunciations wrong. Um, Eusebius, an early church historian, retells a story given by Clement of Alexandria that illustrates the character of the Apostle John. While in Smyrna, 
to meditate a dispute, John left a young, young convert in the care of a newly appointed bishop who was to supervise the young man's spiritual training. After the convert was baptised, the bishop lost track of him. The young convert fell into bad company and eventually became the leader of a band of thugs. When John returned to Smyrna, he inquired about the new convent. The embarrassed bishop had to tell him that he was now a leader of a gang of highwaymen. The old apostle tore his clothing and chastised the bishop for his lack of supervision. Despite his age, John jumped on a horse and galloped off for the back country to find the wayward convert. In time, he was surrounded by the gang members and he said, take me to your leader. When the bandit leader saw John, he turned and ran. John called out, don't run from me, your spiritual father who is unarmed and very old. Be sorry for me, child, not afraid of me. You still have hope of life. I will account to Christ for you. To save you, I will give my own life. Stop, believe, Christ sent me. You know, the leader turned around and approached John. The apostle moved towards him and the bandit flung his arms around John, sobbing. John led him back to Smyrna and helped him get reestablished in the church. How far are you willing to go this is an element of John's character here perseverance how far are you willing to go to continue to stand with someone or for someone pray for someone draw them back to faith you know friendship takes investment doesn't it you know if someone were to leave the church today how invested and this is for all of us, I am not pointing at anybody. How invested are you in nurturing that friendship just because they've left the church, just because they're going, maybe going somewhere else? You know, when someone leaves my workplace, how invested am I? We've been really, really good friends in work. How invested am I to continue to invest in that friendship? You know, that might bring to mind somebody from your workplace, from an old Christian friend that you feel like maybe God's putting on your heart to um, reignite that friendship with. I don't know. But that perseverance and tenacity that we see in John, I think we need to make sure is in each of us as well. So just bringing it into land, um, you know, how do we become mature in Christ? Well, the kind of simplistic but it's never simple is it answer is doing what John did spending time with Jesus and following the teachings of Jesus you know it sounds simple we all know it's not as simple because we face everyday life you know we overcome immaturity and self-centeredness by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us with the love of Jesus you know, Jesus said, you become great when you become like a child. You know, when we just take things like a child would take them. You know, in your heart, you say no to self and you say yes to Christ instead. And we all need to become mature in Christ. We all need to humble ourselves and allow Christ to fill our hearts. You know, for us to kind of shrug off those nicknames of younger days like John did so a son of thunder and instead as I said John became the apostle of love he became the disciple that Jesus loved and we want to go on that journey as well John did it by surrendering everything and allowing Christ to be his everything and his mentor and my encouragement to you today is to do the same mm -hmm.